I'm Aurora Barry, and tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. Jesus and John the Baptist. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who has come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Aurora. Well, good evening again, and um, it is great to have our youth involved in the service this evening. I hope that you've enjoyed it so far, and we're not done yet. We've got another song at the end, and uh, then we've got someone who's going to lead us in communion as well. Uh, we are continuing our series in uh, Matthew, and this evening we're looking at Matthew chapter one. Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter eleven, verses one to fifteen, and uh, we'll cover those other verses soon. But um, uh, I'm very thankful that the youth were able to come and do this service this evening and I just ask that you guys encourage them. Uh, they're all young people. It's taken a big step for them to get up and do this this evening. We want to see more and more of this happen and uh, at the very least continue to pray for them as well and pray for our leaders. Uh, we've got a great team of people that are involved every Friday night uh, in, in uh, ministering to these guys and we've got our D teams now which are happening which are our youth age kids as well and it's fantastic to have those things happening so please be praying for our young people. It's important that they get a staff established in the faith at a very early age so that they've got something that they can stand on into the future when the challenges come. I, I believe the passage that we're looking at tonight is an incredible passage of scripture and you're possibly tired of me actually saying that but this passage seems to be so relevant to so many people and uh, particularly relevant to people right now I think and, and I think for myself there's been many times in my life where I would have to say that uh, this has been very applicable to me as well and, and so tonight we're going to be looking at that situation when doubts come and I want you to think about something as we start to look at this passage I want you to ask yourself have you ever been disappointed with God has there ever been a time when you thought God should have done something God should have answered a prayer a particular way God should have provided something for you and that didn't actually happen and the result of that was you didn't trust God you you just you were just actually disappointed you, you thought God should have come through for you. you. You felt that he let you down. You felt disappointed and, and you thought that he didn't care, that perhaps he was busy or whatever. And I can tell you, I've had my doubts many times and I have no doubt they're going to come again. And I firmly believe that's why passages of Scripture like this are contained for us in the Bible. So that we can read these things, we can be encouraged, we can realize we're not on our own. And we can be given instruction about what we should do when these doubts come. And I want to encourage you, doubting's nothing to be ashamed of. We, we should be able to talk about it. We should be able to have each other pray for us. And I think we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware that it's happening around us and we need to know what we should do when those doubts come. As we think about this 
passage and John, uh, particularly in this passage, it's important to appreciate um, why John is in prison at this particular time. And you see, he's been arrested by soldiers who were serving Herod. And uh, the reason why he was arrested was because John had spoken publicly about the unlawful relationship that Herod had um, with his brother's wife. And uh, he'd married his brother's wife, which obviously is a detestable thing and it should never happen. And John spoke quite openly about that. So John is kept in prison, but he's only kept there because Herod sees John as a holy and just man. And Herod realized that many had accepted John as a prophet. And so Herod really feared the consequences of him killing John, not only because he was this holy and righteous man, but also because of the potential backlash from the people um, because they believed that John was a prophet. I want you to think about who John is. I want you to think about where he ministered. This is a guy who was out in the desert in the wide open plains. He got to see the blue skies every day. Uh, I've been to Israel and the areas that he ministered in were quite barren, but I'm sure he would have loved being out there because that's where he was called to be. All of creation was around him. And I could imagine him thanking God for the bits and pieces that he got to see for the Jordan River that was flowing through the area that he was in. But now he's in prison. And the prisons in those days were nothing like we've got today. They were dark holes. There was no windows. There was no light coming into those places. They were never cleaned. So there was just all sorts of filth all over the floors. The walls were damp. The floors were damp. There were no beds. There were no chairs. There was nothing like that. When they finally got too exhausted to stay standing up, they would lay on that damp floor. That's the only place they could sleep. They weren't given blankets. And the food they were given was only designed to just sustain life. It wasn't designed to do anything else for them. And so they're just hanging on. And when you think about John and his situation, you could possibly forgive him for saying, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Let's pray before we get into this. Father God, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that it is a living word. I want to thank you that it challenges us. And Lord, that's all I pray for this evening. I pray that you'll speak to us through this word. That Lord, we will hear your voice in the midst of that. And that Lord, we will have a desire to draw closer to you as a result. Father, we're in your hands. Minister to us as each of us have need, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's think about who John is again. This is a man who we're told in Mark 1 declared that the promised one was coming. And Jesus is that promised one. And John says he is more righteous, more mightier than I am. And to such an extent that I, as John the Baptist, am unworthy to even untie the sandal, the strap of his sandal. John got it right. John understood who this was. John knew that this was the creator of all things standing before him when Jesus came to be baptized in the Jordan River with him. And that's why he realized in that situation that he was so unworthy to stand before his creator, before his salvation, and to untie his shoe. John knew he was a sinner. And Jesus comes in Matthew 3 to be baptized and John is less stricken. John himself says that he needs baptism. He needs baptism from Jesus. He needs to be forgiven by him. And yet Jesus is asking John to baptize him. And as I said, John 
understood who Jesus was before this event. And then John relents and baptized because Jesus asked him to. And after Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, the heavens are rent and a Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then this voice is heard, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's the John we're talking about. This is the John who knew without a doubt who Jesus was. At the time when John's disciples came to him and let him know that there was more people being baptized to follow Jesus than what John was baptizing, John's response was that Jesus must become bigger and that he, John, must become smaller. John knew it was his role and his task to prepare the way for Jesus and that ultimately Jesus would be elevated and he would slowly fade. So what happened? What changed for John to go from knowing who Jesus was to being certain, to being totally changed from that? I think it's because certain trials came. John's confined in prison. Uh, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly how long John ends up being in prison. So the commentators believe it's most likely somewhere between six months and two years. But trust me, as I said, these prisons were dark and damp and cold, no bed, no comfort, no nothing. So a week would have been bad enough. And they potentially were frequently beaten for no reason. And as I say, the food only prolonged life. It was for no other reason. And that was difficult enough. But for John, on top of all that, he also hears this. John was in prison and he hears about the deeds of Jesus. John can only hear bits and pieces of what Jesus is doing. We're not told who it was that brought this word to John, but we're told that he heard this word. And John had introduced Jesus as the promised Messiah. And he had this expectation that the Messiah was going to overthrow the Romans. But it didn't seem like Jesus was preparing an army right now. John had called out the sins of the people who came to him. And Jesus was partying with them. Jesus was having a good time with these sinners. John was aware of what Isaiah 61 said, that when the promised Messiah would come, he would proclaim good news to the poor, he would bind up the brokenhearted, he would proclaim liberty to the captives, he would open the prisons of those who are bound. And John could rightfully say, that's me, Jesus, I'm in prison. Come and open the prison for me. And as far as we know, Jesus never even visited John. And John's gone from being totally assured of who Jesus was, that he was the promised Messiah, to wondering who Jesus is at all. But the one redeeming thing in the midst of this for John is that he goes to Jesus. He wants to hear from Jesus what's going on, so he sends word to Jesus by his disciples. That's what he says here. And so the word that he sends is, Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? John, who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is now questioning who Jesus is. And so he contacts his disciples, the same man who had gone to ask Jesus why his disciples didn't fast. And they travel from the fortress that John is 
in uh, to where Jesus is. And it's about 150 k's on foot. And they say to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? And, and this, is, of course, is an allusion to the promised Messiah. It's an expression which John himself used at the start of his ministry in Matthew 3.11. And his question is in total contradiction to his earlier bold statements. And various commentators have attempted to explain this away by saying, John asked this question for the sake of his disciples, um, but Jesus answers directly to John. He doesn't answer his disciples. Others say that um, the questions are an expression of John's concern regarding the true Messiah more than for himself. But I'm, I believe that it's most likely that John is weighing up Jesus' message against the reality. He's struggling with what he's hearing about Jesus. And the flip side here too is, he proclaimed, John proclaimed a message of repentance, which promised blessing to those who repented and were baptised, while those who didn't repent would be judged. And in John's personal experience, it seems he's being judged more than being blessed. Regardless, whatever the reason, John's now doubting, doubting. He's uncertain and he's looking for some assurance. And it's like the answer he receives is basically saying, trust Jesus, you can't see everything. You, you can't know everything. What I notice when I continue to read this passage is that John's disciples came to Jesus and they asked their question, but Jesus didn't give a vocal answer. He didn't give them a nice little cliched sentence to go back and give to John to give John the assurance that he was desiring. Instead, he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. Those of us who have not spent time studying God's word will miss the significance of what Jesus is saying here and a little bit that follows on after this sentence. In the Old Testament, there are a set of blessings which will indicate the arrival of the age of the Messiah. And Jesus has told John's disciples to tell John what they see and hear. And this is what he tells them to relay to John. The blind receive their sight. And this is mentioned in Isaiah 29.18 and Isaiah 35.15. Oh, sorry, Isaiah 35.5. The lame walk. And that's mentioned in Isaiah 35.6. The lepers are cleansed, which is in Isaiah 53.4. The deaf hear, which is in Isaiah 29.18 and 19 and 35.5. The dead are raised, which is in Isaiah 26.19. The good news is preached to the poor, Isaiah 61.1. Jesus is basically quoting the very scriptures that prophesied about himself so that John would know the very things that are prophesied about the coming Messiah are being fulfilled in his life at that time in John's very presence. Jesus wants to emphasize to John that what is happening in his ministry is in line with these promises. These prophecies from Isaiah are all coming about in the ministry of the promised Messiah. And that's Jesus. It confirms to John that the promised age of blessing is here. Now is the time. The thing is, Jesus knows that John is aware of this. And in the midst of this, he sends a mild rebuke to John as well. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
As I say, this is a mild rebuke, but it's something which John and us need to hear. This is a call to take in the big picture. The outworking of God's perfect plan is dependent upon God's wisdom and God's timing. We don't fully understand everything that God does. John wanted the blessing for those who believe. He also wanted the judgment on those who didn't believe. And Jesus is calling on John to accept God's word. Blessing and judgment will come, but it's in God's time. And it will happen according to his perfect will. And as that will unfolds. It's one of those occasions when John is being told, you can't possibly know or understand all that God is doing. You can't see everything that is unfolding. Uh, unfolding. So John, just trust Jesus. And Jesus has brought the messianic blessings of healing and good news to the poor. He has pronounced the coming judgment on those who will not believe. But for now, just trust Jesus' word. It's all going to happen but it's in his time. And John had fallen into that trap of wanting to see and wanting to hear and wanting to understand everything that is going on. And he was looking and listening with his physical senses when this was something that can only be seen and accepted with the eyes of faith. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and John is commended. He's not condemned. I find it interesting that Jesus waits till John's disciples leave before giving this glowing tribute about John the Baptist. And I wonder if it's because Jesus knows how easily we stumble with pride. He didn't want to cause John to stumble. But Jesus begins with this praise. Jesus begins to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And again, we've got to think about the situation where they are. They've got the Jordan River there, and they've got these river reeds that are standing on the edge of the Jordan. And uh, when the wind blows from the south, the reeds bend to the north. When the wind blows from the north, the reeds bend to the south. And so reeds are not dependable. You don't know which way they're going to point. It's, they're fickle. They are affected by the circumstances surrounding them. They're affected by whichever way the wind blows. And John wasn't influenced like that. John wasn't influenced by the religious or political pressures that were around at that time. He was a rock. He stood firm upon his convictions and he stood firm upon his message regarding Jesus and the promised Messiah. And so Jesus says, well, what was it then you went out to see? Was it a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And the answer to this is, of course not. It's a rhetorical question. John wore camel's hair with a leather belt tied around his waist. John was not desiring a place in a king's palace. He came to serve. And the one he came to serve was the promised Messiah, the one true king. And John knew it was his role to prepare the way for this king. And then Jesus says again, What then was it you did go to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. You see, John was a prophet, and as it says here, Jesus says, but more than a prophet. John is the prophet who was prophesied about. And John is the first prophet to bring a message to Israel in 400 years. He's like the prophets of old because he's calling the people to repent. He's calling them back to God. But he was more than that. And Jesus is quoting Malachi 3.1 when he says this, Behold, I send my messenger before your face 
who will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi 3.1 that Jesus is quoting there in Matthew 11.10. John is that messenger. And although those hearing what Jesus said and even his disciples didn't understand, Jesus is declaring he is the Son of God, even in this passage. The promised Messiah in this statement. And Jesus' final point is to indicate the greatness of God, but also the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Anyone confused? Good. We'll leave that there. Let's close in prayer. John was a true man of God, the last of the Old Testament prophets and the forerunner, the messenger of Jesus, the Messiah. And then then there's this contrast here. John is the greatest born of women, but, but compared to those born in the kingdom of heaven, he is the least. And this period that has become... That, that, that has began, sorry, with the coming of Jesus the Messiah, is an era that indicates the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. John will not see the full arrival of this. He is going to die before Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And Jesus will institute the new covenant in his blood. And that's the dividing line between what we know of the old covenant and the new covenant. And the series of events that will soon unfold, as I said, with Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and the coming of Holy Spirit at Pentecost, all prove the arrival of God's redemptive kingdom. And John is the greatest of the Old Testament because of his crucial role in preparing the way for Jesus. His mission was great, not only because of the role he played, but because of the one he introduced and all that that means for humanity, all that that meant. For each and every one of us. And John was great because of the message he delivered. And the way he prepared the way for Jesus. But that fades into insignificance when we consider how much greater it is that each and every person who calls upon the name of Jesus will have life eternal with him in eternity. That's what this verse is talking about. John was great. But the fact we can be in glory with our heavenly father is even greater. And that all occurred because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, I've stood here before you many times and said, I've got no idea what's going on in your lives. And that's true for the most part. I have no idea. I don't know how much you struggle with doubts. I don't know how much you struggle with life at the moment. So many of us find ourselves in a place or a situation we can't change, somewhat like the situation that John found himself in prison. And I think we sometimes find ourselves in those situations um, where things don't go the way we think they should have. Situations seem to have gotten way out of control and that happened a lot quicker than we thought that it possibly could. And we're just left in this place where we just don't know what to do. And this can lead to disappointment. This can lead to questioning what God is doing. And sometimes we even fall into that trap of comparing our situation with someone else's. And we say, well, God did this for them. Why won't he do that for me? Doesn't God care about me? Is God even real? Is my faith real? When John doubted, he did the right thing. 
and he went to Jesus. I believe we should do the same. And when Jesus responded to John, he didn't give him any new revelation. He didn't give him a way out of the situation that he was in. In fact, John died in prison. He never got out. But Jesus reminded him of the truths that are contained in what John already knew. Can I encourage you? Jesus will do the same for us. You've heard me say again and again how important it is to journal the things that God does, does for you. When you pray and you get an answer to prayer, it doesn't matter how small or how big it is, we should be journaling those things. When we read God's word and he reveals something to us, we need to journal that. We need to write that down. We need to make a note of that. And then when the doubts come, I ask you to doubt your doubts. Do not doubt Jesus. Go back to what Jesus has said. Look at those promises that are being confirmed in your very own lives. And believe that Jesus has done it before, he will do it again. And there are many things that cause us to doubt. Why do good people suffer? Why do babies get sick and die? Why is it so hard to live for Jesus? Is living for Jesus even worth it? If there is a God... How can he allow such evil, such sickness, such suffering? What I found in my life is that I cannot understand or know everything that is going on. I cannot understand the big picture of what God is doing. But I can testify to the fact that I've gone through many deep, dark moments in my own life. And now when I stand here before you and I look back, I can see God's hand all through that. And again, God didn't deliver me from a lot of that. I had to go through that. But God met me in the midst of that. And he empowered me. He strengthened me. He gave me the ability to move through it. I choose to doubt my doubts. And I turn to Jesus. I trust him. I take my troubles, I take my burdens, I take my doubts to him. And each and every one of us has to be willing to cast them at the foot of the cross. And we've got to be willing to trust God for the things that we can't see, the answers we don't have, the impossibilities that seem so far out of reach, the things that I can't see, feel or understand. Jesus didn't take John out of prison. And so when we lay our burdens at Jesus' feet, it doesn't mean we're going to be released from them. But he will walk through them with us. We don't hear from John again in Scripture. We do get the account of his death in Matthew 14. And by that account, it appears that John remained faithful to the very end. And so it would appear to me that the words that Jesus sent back through John's disciples were words that encouraged him, words that reestablished his faith in Jesus, words that allowed him to confirm that, yes, Jesus was the promised Messiah. And although we won't be released from the troubles we're facing, Jesus will give us what we need to endure. He'll give us those words of faith and encouragement. And so, 
Each of us have a choice to make. We can live with our worries, our concerns and our doubts, or we can experience the freedom of Christ and walk through whatever we are facing with peace, confidence and joy because we've taken all Jesus said to be true and we've applied those truths to our lives and it's allowed us to walk in his freedom. And I can tell you, it's truly liberating. It's not always easy. There's some things that are very difficult to let go. But when we do, you experience a freedom that is just beyond this world. I encourage you all to pursue it. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you for the illustration of John. And again, Lord, it emphasizes to me the truth of your word because if we wrote that about John, we'd want John to be a hero who never doubted, who died believing that Jesus was the Son of God without ever doubting that, Lord. But he did doubt. And I thank you, Lord, that you've put that story in your word so that when we doubt, we can go to that and we can see that, Lord, you ministered to him. You showed him from your word that those prophecies were being fulfilled in your very own life. And Lord, I pray for each one of us, when we begin to doubt, we'll turn to your word, we'll turn to you, we'll see how you've worked in our lives, we'll remember our first love when we first came to you and acknowledged you as our Lord and Saviour and the incredible work you did for us at that time. And that we'll repent, we'll return to you once more. And we'll lay our burdens at your feet, Lord. Father, I know there's people who are hearing my voice this evening who are struggling with many things. They may be struggling with doubts. They may be struggling with relationships. They may be struggling with financial issues. Lord, I just pray that they'll be able to release that to you. I pray that you give them the strength to do that. I pray, Lord, that they'll come to trust and know that you're aware of their situation. You haven't forgotten them. And when they pray to you, when they cry out to you, Lord, you hear them. And you don't only hear them, but you answer them. And Lord, sometimes the answers you give aren't what we want. But I pray we'll accept them and I pray that we'll see your hand in a mighty and real powerful way in all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.